Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm, and like any good lawyers, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. This podcast is brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. MetaSapiens, we've got a great guest for you today, Mark Jeffrey, who's been around since the beginning of the metaverse. In fact, you can argue that he created the virtual metaverse, uh, is with us today. And uh, we're going to just uh, start with the questions uh, because we want to get right into it. So, uh, Mark, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for Hello, coming, Mark. Hello, fellow. Pleasure to be here. Right. So, uh, you know, I think the MetaSapiens want to know, first of all, you know, in your own words, who you are and what your history with the metaverse is. Yeah, so I started a company in 1995 called The Palace, and it was a very early, very early metaverse. One of the first ones, and it might have been the first one on the internet. I haven't actually tracked down whether somebody actually beat us or not, but it definitely one of the very first ones. Um, it had about 10 million users at its peak, so huge phenomenon kind of in 1998 or so is when it kind of was at its peak. Um, and it was backed by Time Warner, Intel, and SoftBank. And uh, a lot of people are probably imagining a 3D space because we had only 14 four modems and, uh, you know, 386s. Um, you know, it was it was very low power kind of thing. So it was 2D, not 3D. So, you know, it was it was basically you had a, a JPEG background mm -hmm. and it might have been animated. It might have been a, there might have been little animations in the background, but it was largely flat. Um, it was uh, typically dimensional. So there would be. You know, the artwork would be 3D, so there'd be like little chairs and things to sit down in. Um, and then over the top of that were 2D avatars. And these were typically, you know, if, if you didn't have uh, an avatar to wear uh, and you were naked, there was a little smiley uh, round head. And, um, and basically people could move around the room. And when they spoke, little speech balloons came out of their head, right? So it was like being inside of a shared comic strip or shared cartoon. And you could customize your avatar. You could make, you could basically upload any GIF, uh, animated or not, as your avatar, and you could change it frequently. So people, you weren't, you weren't locked to any uh, specific avatar. You could flip them very quickly. And a lot of people sort of played their avatars as instruments, you know, reacting to things people said in the room. So that was that was sort of the basics. The rooms were connected by hotspots. So you know, if I kind of went over to the left side, usually there'd be another room there, and I would go into the other room. And the way the rooms are constructed, uh, they're sort of like web pages. The rooms were URLs. So any room could have a hotspot to any other room on your server or onto a room on another palace server somewhere else on the internet. And so it was a sort of, there was no geography, right? Like a lot of the metaverses today are very locked to um, slavishly imitating the real world, mm -hmm. and which is why they can sell land, right? Because there is a center, that, there's some real estate which is actually hotter. In palace space, uh, it was all random access and, and more like the web. Where where's the center of the web? Well, I don't know. It's you know it's all just interconnected, right? So some places ended up being more popular than others. So I guess there was some real estate in that sense, but but more or less it was kind of a free for all. So that's sort of a brief description of what the palace was. We uh, will link to your prior descriptions of the palace. You know, you've got some great YouTube videos explaining your history and what it looked like. So Metasapiens, you can take a look at it there. Um, 
Was the 2D space, and I, maybe the answer to this is obvious, but was that an intentional choice given technological constraints or was that a conscious choice because you thought that was a, a best and optimal way for people to interact? Yeah, I mean, it would. I, uh, I would say the answer is both of those, yes to both of those. Um, but but largely, I think it's largely a technical uh, contraction. But Jim Bumgarner, who was the guy who kind of came up with all of the, you know, he, he was the he was the CTO. He was the guy that wrote the code and actually invented this as a medium. Um, he had he had studied a previous metaverse uh, that had been deployed on AOL or on Quantum Link, then known as uh, sorry. Yeah, AOL, but then known as Quantum Link, uh, and that metaverse was called Habitat, and it was very similar in that it was 2D also. Um, but largely, the, the thing that really made the palace kind of go the distance was the fact that it was oh, the creation of avatars. Uh, anyone can upload anything. The creation of rooms. Uh, you could make your own palace server, and a lot of people ran palace servers on their home machines. And while they're up and running, they're registered with a centralized directory, so people knew it was there. Uh, didn't have to be up all the time, but it could be. And but people could make their own palace servers and author them. And all you needed was background art for each room. So this democratized the creation of metaverse assets. Today, that's a lot more difficult. You have to be skilled in creating 3D modeling. It's actually very expensive to create, uh, you know, the landscape in Decentraland mm. uh, or the avatars, right? And I'm not I'm not talking about minting them on Ethereum or whatever. I'm just talking about uh, paying someone or, that has the skill to uh, work with the 3D models. This democratized the creation of metaverse space to the edges. Anyone could make anything at any time. So in that sense, it was a lot more expressive and kind of better. Uh, I would also say uh, the other thing 2D lent to a metaverse space was it tended to cement the illusion of, of you being in a shared space with others mm -hmm. uh, a lot more concretely than 3D. So for example, if I'm looking this way and you're looking this way, um, I'm, I probably don't even see, right? So we actually have very different experiences. Whereas in a 2D space, I say, oh, everybody look to my left and everybody has the same point of view. So my left and your left are the same, right? So uh, frames of reference, because ultimately we're all just looking at a 2D screen, even if it's a 3D environment, right? Mm -hmm. So doing it in 2D kind of makes it better in some ways. Also, the speech balloons, the, the palace was extremely social. Like people, it was very, like people just hung out there all the time. The average session was like a little under an hour. Mm. And people came back three or four times a week. That was the average. And um, and it, and it was it was as lively as Twitter, right? Mm. Uh, it, people were arguing like they do on Twitter, right? <laughs> it, it had that feeling. The other metaverses that are out there right now, uh, it's just largely a bunch of three D avatars not talking mm. because the the social like it's you they they have like a little window off to the side where when someone speaks the text comes up, mm -hmm. but you don't know which avatar said what. Like it's really mm -hmm. hard to tie that back to the space. So I actually think the balloons add a like a ton mm. um, and they're a lot harder or maybe impossible to do in 3D, whereas in 2D, they make total sense. Mm. So um, I don't like the fact in the modern metaverses that nobody talks yeah. and pretty much people just wander around and go, oh my God, we're in snow crash. And that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know Jason has some thoughts on sort of chat rooms and their instantiation of the metaverse, but I want to ask sort of a very lawyerly question, right? Before we get into experience. And that is, given that radical democratization that anybody could do anything, grab a GIF, grab a background, throw it up on your server, you've got space. 
did you run into? And if so, did you, how did you handle uh, the intellectual property issues, which to me sound, you know, intense, right? I mean, I love, you know, great art. I'd grab it and it's not really mine to use, but I'm using it. I guess, is it a commercial use if I'm on a palace server? I don't know, but I just want to ask you sort of this very, you know, lawyerly question. How did intellectual property and the palace interact? Yeah. So first of all, it's no different than if you use Bugs Bunny as your avatar on Twitter, mm. right? Same problem. You know, or if I use Bugs Bunny in my background uh, on my LinkedIn profile, like the little banner at the top, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's really it's the exact same thing. However, back in like 96, when we sort of started this, like these were all big questions. We didn't, we didn't really know, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, are these in fact copyright violations? And, uh, and I have to go back and look at the agreements. Like I said, we were backed by Time Warner, Intel, and SoftBank. Okay. So we had extraordinary legal representation. And I, I believe it, it pretty, you know, the palace servers, we ran a palace server ourselves, but the bulk of palace space was hosted and operated by others. Hmm. So it wasn't even on us, worst case scenario in most cases. Um, and for those cases where people uploaded, you know, uh, some copyrighted material or whatever, uh, or, or acted or acted badly or, up, or uploaded porn, right? You could do that, right? Because you can upload anything, right? Mm. Um, we, on our servers, we had moderators at all time. That was very important. And we had very palace native punishments. So we could, you know, moderators could strip anyone of their avatar at any time. They okay. could mute people. And there was another uh, nuisance which people could do. Remember, we're on 14.4 modems. If they moved around a lot really fast, yeah. um, that would tend to DDoS the palace server. Right back then, that was a lot, right? There was a lot of events to handle. Um, so we invented a thing called PIN, and PIN would remove all your your would remove your avatar, make you naked, mute you so you couldn't speak, and it would wrap a little chain around you and throw you into the right hand corner of the screen, and, and you couldn't move. And there'd be a little notification set to you, it was like you've been pinned by the moderators. Only the moderators can hear you when you speak. So you could speak, and, and, and we had a whisper function, so it automatically put you in the whisper mode with the moderator, so you could negotiate for your release. And the effect of this was it was actually incredibly effective. Yeah. And uh, the and the reason why is because it was a you know it, it was a cartoonish punishment. Yeah. Yet it was also super effective. People are like, oh my god, I didn't know that could happen, <laughs> right? And so they were like super impressed and like, okay, I won't. I, I promise I won't do it ever again, right? Yeah. And and it, it it tended it tended to work very well. So yeah, so many websites could use that function these days. But. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so many They're like the band hammer, you know, nowadays, but but funnier. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a good thing that you mentioned funny, right? You know, there was you know the '90s obviously were a more whimsical time when it came to when it came to like you know internet and even large corporations accessing the internet and everything that's going on. And today it's a lot different. How do you actually feel about like the metaverse today? And the you know you could argue it's corporatization, right? Like uh, you know, uh, what is it to you? And is, do we even have a thing called the metaverse uh, these days? Yeah, I, I, I so I got to be honest. I don't really like a lot of the the attempts that are out there right now. Um, I, I don't think anybody's cracked it. I don't, I think what Facebook is doing is horrible. You know, people have half a body. You know, it's uh, and also it's for business. And I. I you know, we, we tried business palace servers because, you know, Intel was one of our backers. And they were all excited about business palaces. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, but they, you know, they, they were pretty insistent that that was a thing. And it feels like that's what Meta is doing right now. The problem is it's too fucking goofy. Just straight up. It's like it's like a game. Right. So you don't like the, Zoom. What we're doing right now is far more effective for business. I can see your faces. You know, I don't need to see your full body. Um, we, we don't need the, we don't need the full 3d rendering. Right. So, so I, I feel like 
I feel like that's bad. And I feel like the other spaces that are sort of consumer focused aren't social. And I think that is the death knell of these things. If you don't have people who are just talking all the time, then it's not working. Hmm. You know, you got people who are, they won't stay. You know, the the product of a metaverse isn't the metaverse. It's the other people. Hmm. And the metaverse is a really interesting telephone, this shared cartoon that you're all in together. um, And that provides all kinds of extra expressiveness or it doesn't, in which case it's failing, but that's what it should be doing. And, um, and it, it should just be making the interactions with other people richer. And, uh, and if you don't have interactions with other people, then it's not working at all. Hmm. So I do think there's some interesting people that have yet to sort of come up to bat. So I just interviewed Tony Parisi, who was one of the, uh, the early VRML. He was a co-founder, co-inventor of virtual reality modeling, which around the same time I was doing the palace. And was very, uh, you know, into all the all the metaverse spaces back then. Um, he is now uh, the first executive hire at Neil Stevenson, who's the guy that wrote Snow Crash. Mm-hmm. His company, Lamina One, mm-hmm. and there's some br- there's some bright minds in there. So I'm interested to see what they come up with. Uh, I'm also advising two metaverse companies. One called Leapin, and I actually uh, they're not there yet, but I like a lot of where they're headed, and they they do understand what these things I've been saying. So I like them. Uh, but you, you can't really see what you can't really see the full fruition of the vision yet. Uh, and then there's another one called Vatim that I think may uh, produce something as well. But and I'm also advising them. So they seem to be on the right track in several dimensions. But so far, nobody's gotten there yet. Hmm. But so much of that is, I think, hierarchical choices back to my or architectural choices. Maybe it's both back to my first question of whether the, the 2D and the fast travel equivalent um, was a conscious choice. Um, one of our first recordings on this podcast, uh, Jason and I were talking about the ability to fast travel in a video game versus being forced to ride your vehicle, you know, digital miles to get any place and how it really, it messes with, you know, if I have to spend, you said this, right? If I spend 15 minutes walking in a digital space, like what's the point? Yeah. And it just, it totally, it speaks to it. Um, and I, I wonder if, is it enough? that we are social while we're traveling, right? If there were literal subways in a metaverse, so while I'm being forced to travel in an architectural choice that I didn't make, but is made by advertisers, but they made it possible to communicate while doing so, is that enough? Like is social so important that you can do anything boring as long as it's social? I, I just, I don't think so. So, and remember the product is the other people, right? Mm-hmm. So if that is if that is the center of gravity, then all of your other design choices should flow from that. So, and in, in the palace actually did flow from that. So when you uh, when you when you logged into your palace client, you know you had a, you actually had to log on. Uh, we had a, we had a standalone client they had to uh, put on your desktop. So when you logged into that, um, you could bring up a list of all the palace servers, how many people were in each one, and uh, a list of your friends and where they were right now, and then just click on them and go to wherever they're at. Hmm. So the teleport, I mean, it's it's digital, so you can teleport. You don't need to force the walking, right? So. You walk if you want to, but most people are just looking for their friends, mm. right? Or they want to go to like the happening club. These things are like nightclubs, right? Mm. So you want to kind of see, okay, what's hop- What's happening? What's hopping right now? I want to go there because that's, you know, that's there. I want the serendipity to run into people I've never met before, mm. uh, but I want to be able to choose that. I don't want it forced upon me with a subway. I don't think, you know, I, I just don't think that solves it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't solve it out here. I don't know why it would solve it in there unless you could sort of select a subway with only your friends, which is assuming the conclusion. Like um, if you're slavishly copying the real world, yeah. you're doing the equivalent of in the early web days, slavishly copying a brochure and thinking that's a website. 
Hmm. which is pretty much what everyone did, right? That hmm. was the first impulse. Or, you know, when you invent television, just pointing a camera at somebody with a microphone that used to do radio and calling that television, right? Hmm. So I, I think this is another example of the same thing. We, they haven't quite figured that out yet. You shouldn't slavishly copy material reality. Hmm. You know, one of the things that uh, we were talking about, uh, we were talking with Jonathan Stringfield in a previous episode. Uh, he's a VP at uh, Activision Blizzard. And we're talking about gaming and the metaverse, right? And uh, one of the things that drives me crazy and also drives uh, him crazy and Philip crazy as well is that, you know, you can do anything in the metaverse theoretically, but you're constrained by physics that don't <laughs> apply, right? Uh, so uh, it really makes gaming in the... 3D gaming in the metaverse, especially, uh, very, very clunky and very, very uh, sickening to a certain degree, right? So I was playing Skyrim in VR um, and I got motion sickness. Literally, I never get motion sickness even on boats. And I got motion sickness just trying to walk in the metaverse because it's not natural. And also, by the way, this is not real life, right? So the right. fact that I have to you know, try to come up with the one-to-one -one equivalent of walking is, is, is a little bit insane. Um, the other thing that's crazy to me is in terms of the inputs and the interfaces, you know, we've come, we'd like to think that we came, we've come a long way, but we're still at controllers, keyboards, and mice for the most part, right? And maybe like maybe a couple of uh, finger guns and stuff like that if, uh, if we're talking about those things. You know, in your opinion, how have things evolved, like has technology evolved enough to the point where a 3D metaverse makes sense currently, or are we just missing something? Yeah, and actually, one, one last point I want to make about the, the previous discussion before we move on, and it's semi-related. Um, if, you, if you include random access to your friends and to where people are, that destroys the very concept of real estate. There is, real estate is irrelevant to that point. So I, I think that there's a, uh, an unnatural, you know, people want to sell land in metaverses because they can make a lot of money, right? So Alluvium, I think, just sold $70 million worth of land. Um, with, with just a video, just a demo of what they were going to build, not even the real thing. So, uh, so I think there's, there's too much unnatural, perverse incentives to get rid of the, you know, they want to make people walk because they want to make them go through the land. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, does a 3D metaverse make sense? Do we ha even have the input and the uh, tools currently for, for us to actually uh, exploit it in a way that makes sense? Better yeah, yet, so, is a 4D metaverse a good idea? <laughs> so I think that, I mean, I think you're, you're asking about the, the helmet question, right? So uh, do we, if you're wearing, should you require people to wear a helmet, first of all? And is that a good thing? Um, I think most people don't want to wear a helmet. I mean, people, we couldn't even get people to wear Google Glass, mm -hmm. right? Because they just look like jerks. Right, they get a little camera point at you. They look like a bored drone with a stupid thing on it, right? So and I think the helmet's got that same kind of nerd vibe to it. Um, not that nerdy's bad all the time, but I think in this case, it's 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 a little too much. So I think I think some kids will I think kids will wear helmets, but I don't think most people will. Yeah, I was gonna um, say it, it feels like a still suit if I'm wearing it, and it's yeah. horribly uncomfortable. And unless I'm gonna die if I'm not in it, I don't want to wear it. But to your point, my son was playing Beat Saber at his friend's house, and he's like. And I was saying, oh, wasn't the, wasn't the Oculus, wasn't really annoying on your face? He's like, I didn't even see, I didn't feel it, Dad. Like, I was having a great time, you know? His problem was that he had the controllers in the wrong hand. So he was playing like this for the first 20 minutes. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. have cared less that there was a helmet on his head. And he's, he's 11. So I think there, there is a generational issue here. I think that's true. I do think that's true. But I also think it's because he's playing a game, right? So if I'm having a lightsaber battle with someone or playing virtual tennis, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you can make the helmet kind of vanish then, you know, in those situations, then yes, I think it totally makes sense. If the metaverse is, is primarily a social space, the helmet feels a little bit like overkill. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, now that said, I have done, I have used some of the VR systems. Like there's a Santa Monica uh, near me uh, before COVID. Anyway, there used to be a, a VR arcade where they you basically went in there and there was like a whole Star Wars thing, and you were fully immersed in the Star Wars universe. Super, super impressive. Huh. And that was actually kind of stunningly good. Okay. And um, but again, that was sort of more. And more in common with a game or a movie. Would I you would go say. with your friends? Oh yeah, absolutely. Friends, I did. So, so, um, so I think for that context, it completely is great and makes sense. Um, I don't know. I'm skeptical of it for the metaverse, but you know, like you say, it could be a generational thing. I might just might just be too old. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, everything you're saying sort of resonates with me. Maybe it is because I'm also too old. But I, the, the question I have is if. If I'm forced to walk, right? Let's say that that's a, an architectural choice that a metaverse makes on me. I would be almost be okay with that if I could change everything else about me, right? Where I'm not walking. What if I all of a sudden have tentacles, right? Or I'm floating, or I'm, you know, I'm teleporting 25 feet at a time, something like that. If I can change sort of the, what I'm experiencing while I'm traveling, I would almost play it for that experience if they let me toggle everything else. But the idea that I'm a featherless biped walking through digital space is boring as hell because I can do that out here. Um, so I, I hear you where social is key, but I really, I see a lot of possibility. I think like everybody does, that the metaverse can be that place where we can change everything else about us, right? We are social, but we don't have to be humans while we're being social in the metaverse. So I'm curious, you had said that the the speech bubbles and you could sort of play with them. You play like you could play your avatars like instruments, right? Um, you had said though that the key was it was social. Uh, Playing an avatar like an instrument is sort of a, a beautiful way to think about it. Do you know anybody doing that correctly in the metaverse no. currently? And how do you imagine it could be done correctly? Well, I think, I mean, I, 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 I think it's possible to do it in 3D. I think it's harder, mm. um, but it, I, think you, I think you could do it. Um, and remember, this, the, the center of gravity is social. So not only is the avatar played like an instrument, you know, let's all become furries or let's all become Warner Brothers characters or mm -hmm. whatever. But there are interactions. Remember, it's like a shared cartoon between people. So you should be able to do cartoonish things, mm. right? So you say something I don't like, I should be able to zap you with like force lightning, yeah. you know, or uh, you say something funny, I should be able to bring up a laugh track, yeah. right? So, and, you know, or boo oh, or whatever, right? You know, or make it, or, or magical things like make it snow in the room yeah. or, and, and these things, these abilities, these verbs, these spells, those are NFTs. Mm. These are things that are viable and sellable, right? Mm. Only I have the ability to throw force lightning, right? You want it, mm. but I'll sell it to you for, you know, free ETH or whatever. Mm. So, uh, and there could be a giant number of those things. Uh, also, if I am, you know, I want it, maybe I want the NFT that makes my avatar three times as large as everyone else's, right? Because I'm like the Jersey Shore guy. I want it to be loud. I want to have mm -hmm. the, you know, the biggest avatar. And then my speech balloon is bigger than everyone's, right? Yeah. And, uh, and also the speech balloons, you know, if I, I can make them spiky, if I want to yell, uh, or, you know, I can make it a thought balloon if I want to just sort of like, you know, do that. Um, so there are all kinds of, you have to weave all these social things in there. And remember that the reason why people want these abilities is for social cachet. Everybody wants to be the big man on campus or the big person on campus, shall we say. Right. So, um, so giving, so making, selling those abilities and making making them, you know, uh, not only entertaining and uh, desirable to people, but making them uh, making economies around them, uh, I think 
you know, who, whoever cracks that will make a giant amount of money. We saw these behaviors in the palace. We had the equivalent of, of spells and verbs and those sorts of things. Uh, they were just scripts. So there was a scripting language. And so people built scripts and they traded them with one another, mm. almost like NFTs, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Were there social points in the palace? Like uh, this person is interactions with this person are five-star interactions with that person are three-star type of thing? No, we didn't do anything. We never did anything like that. All right. I, I worry about it. It's sort of half cool, half not cool. Corey Doctorow wrote Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom where everybody has sort of points in oh, his- Oh, Wuffy? The yeah. concept of Wuffy? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you guys were integrating that too. We didn't. I mean, I mean, those ideas came up in meetings and those sorts of things ultimately got shot down because it was like, who's going to spend the time grading you know, each other. I mean, I can't, I can't even give my Uber driver stars, let alone you know, everyone I encounter in a metaverse space. I'm just there to hang out, dude. Yeah. yeah I'm okay. It'd be like, ask me at a bar, like, okay, you've interacted with this person at the bar for five minutes. Please rate them. Right. It's, just, <laughs> it's annoying really when my iPhone does it. Right. No, totally. You know, one of the things that you're talking about, Mark, is it, is that it, it seems like a lot of people, and especially people who are creating these uh, metaverse or metaverses or how, whatever you want to call it, have lost sight of the fact that there's a distinction between games which are you know experiences and you do it for a particular purpose and gamification of social of social uh, socializing right it's a little bit different uh you know this when you're socializing and using the metaverse to socialize you have to make it fun and you have you can gamify that experience and you can do all kinds of things to really make it uh an experience but you have to really focus on that socialization and creating a a positive experience first and that and it, you brought up a bunch of good ideas so my question to you is you know you you you, you talked about the first person to crack it will make a mint. What are you working on today? Uh, you know, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, like <laughs> what, I said, what's I, you busy? Well, like I said, I'm advising two uh, two metaverse companies. So um, so that's you know, and I own pieces of both of them. So that's that's sort of my bet, and I'm telling them everything I know. So you know, you're, you're getting part of it, but you're not getting all of it. Uh, <laughs> they are getting all of it. So um, so you know, my hope is that one or both of them uh, become extraordinarily successful uh, in this space. I do think it's anybody's to, to win at the moment. And I do think it's enormous. Some people are like, ah, oh, the metaverse is bull crap. I'm like, no, it's not. Uh, having lived through it, you know, the palace was a massive success socially uh, as a phenomenon. It was a failure as a business. But the piece is the, only because we had no payment rails and we had no scarcity. And if we'd had those things, I have no doubt that it, it would have been monetarily uh, revenue wise enormous. Hmm. So that opportunity now exists because of crypto and NFTs. No question in my mind. So that is, I mean, a great place to wrap up. We have, you know, I've learned a lot about the early metaverse, you know, your experience with it. I mean, it's such a pleasure to have you on uh, because we've spoken a little bit about the history of it, but a lot of my knowledge of it is uh, science fiction and, you know, learning about fact, actual history. You know, someone who's someone who was there in the beginning. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Mark. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me. Hello, Media Sapiens. So you just heard the interview with Mark Jeffrey, who is definitely an OG in the metaverse space. And I thought it was pretty fun to start with the interview this time, just because, you know, it's a history lesson. And I think it's good to start there. Philip, I think we learned that the idea of the metaverse isn't new from, from Mark. Uh, what did you learn and what did you get out of that conversation that we had? <sighs> that things are moving both faster and slower than we think. The metaverse has a lot of traction right now, I think, for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, sort of the onset of blockchain technology has reinvigorated the idea of the metaverse, specifically NFTs, I think, because all of a sudden, 
it's not the case that you can just sort of digitally copy everything into infinity, right? There, there is in fact in the ability to make things singular, digitally singular, which is new and different. Um, so in that sense, it's sort of, it's all very new, but it's also, you know, very, very, very old, right? Philip K. Dick was writing about the metaverse in the fifties and the sixties, uh, anticipating the matrix actually in a fun book called the maze of death. Uh, if anybody's interested out there and then people like Mark were coming along and, you know, creating uh, these places where people could hang out. And I guess in a sense, it sort of muddies the definition of a metaverse, but also clarifies it, right? Is a metaverse really just any place where people can meet? Is it any commons where people can get together? Uh, so, for example, like a text chain isn't a metaverse, but any sort of group event is, right? Um, so in that sense, maybe it muddies it, but it also clarifies it because uh, one of the points Mark made is that, you know, in, in his mind, uh, social is the key. Socialization mm -hmm. is the key. The ability to connect is key. And maybe... You know, that's what the metaverse is, right? We've, you know, from massively multiplayer online games to, to Second Life to chat rooms, you could have a thousand people or more or a dozen or whatever. Um, is it anything that allows many people to connect randomly, but simultaneously? Is that what makes a metaverse? So very long-winded answer to say, what did I take away? That the metaverse is both old and new, right? Um, and that's a very blah white bread answer and i'm sticking to it <laughs> well i mean i i agree with you there i mean at the end of the day i think what he clarified for for me and i think for for the metaphys sapiens out there is that it, it, the, the crux of the issue in the metaverse is that it's it's about the people right and to badly paraphrase our uh it's uh the point is actually other people right I, I think he said more hell is other people but let's be positive here <laughs> right um but you know it, it's a, it, the, I think we're so fascinated by the technological aspect of it and what we can do with it and the, the AR, the VR, the actual platform itself that we don't think about what the content would be. And in, a, in any commons, right, whether that be, you know, uh, physical, whether that be digital, whether that be virtual, the commons is, is, is commons because it actually brings the people together, right? Mm -hmm. And it gives us a forum to do it. So it's it, the fact that Mark figured that out in 95, that it's all about actually how you, how you express yourself and how you can express yourself to others. I think that's really important. And I think to a certain extent, we've lost that, right? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of different uh, uh, iterations, I would say, of what people think, uh, or, or entrepreneurs especially think the future should look like and what the metaverse should look like. Um, and there's a lot of emphasis on the tech. There's a lot of emphasis on, you know, the commoditization of different assets within that tech. But, you know, how do people interact? Why would people be, want to be on there? Sometimes that does tend to be a little underdeveloped from my point of view, right? And I don't know if you feel the same way, but, uh, you know, uh, I've definitely, you know, my first question to, to any entrepreneur uh, that, that wants to get into the metaverse is, why would anybody take the time to learn your platform and, and go into your uh, into your sandbox, basically? Not the small S sandbox, not the big S, not the capital S sandbox, right? Um, that's something that that always puzzles me uh, and, and really uh, motivates me to learn more about the company as well. Because if, if you can't articulate that, I think you have a problem. Yes, right, which is the case for any product. Why would people want this? Um, that said, when it comes to socialization, I think we need to differentiate between motivation and monetization. While yeah. it's the case that monetization is the thing that uh, business looks at, I think motivation is is a different driver. 
Um, I think one of the joys of community, right, be it uh, chat rooms or be it metaverses or be it social media, is it offers the opportunity to find like-minded people. Um, let's see, I'll date myself. In around like 92, 91 or 92, when I was in high school, um, some friends of mine had uh, ham radios. And we would spend time talking to other people in our city, um, in our state, other places, passing, I don't know, passing airplanes. I don't think the, the ISS was not up yet. But anyway, mm -hmm. talking to, you know, people. And it was, it was cool because nobody was making money off that, right? I mean, we, they had to buy their equipment and there was a huge community about it. But at no point was anybody saying, hey, how do we make money from you know, amateur ham radio operators. <laughs> and I think in its, in its best form, some social media outlets sort of allow that as well. Uh, a place for people who are unique or singular for whatever reason in their place can find other people that are like them. And that's, that's a great thing. And that's a motivation for finding new ways to connect. But it's not necessarily monetizable. Um, so in that sense, I guess it depends on who we're talking to. If you're talking to people looking to build something that other people will want that they can then, you know, sell to investors or other companies, like that's, that's one motivation. But the other, I think it's just a much more human one, right? Mm -hmm. Finding like-minded people. Um, I, I know that Reddit is a popular, you know, platform. I think it makes money. I actually have no idea if it does, um, People always want it to, certainly, uh, but it's a great, for me, present day example of like-minded people finding each other, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, there's the, there's the stupid subreddit. It's like our awe and our funny, which is almost never funny. But there's other interesting ones, right? Like to me, like our woodworking is a fun one. Again, it's sort of, it's a very small hobby of mine, but watching what other people do and how they do it, like it's a way for us to find each other. And to my knowledge, everybody on there is an amateur. Nobody's making money off of this stuff. I think some people offer some classes, but... Anyway, it's just it's that it's that push to find like-minded people. You know, it's it's really funny because you know the Web 2.0 genesis and how Web 3.0 is going. It's uh, it's really funny because Web 2.0 was all about finding users and like-minded community, and then trying to figure out a business plan afterwards, mm. right? Um, and and Web 3.0 almost seems to be the opposite, right? It's, hmm. uh, you know, took from my perspective, you know, there's a lot of like monetization channels and things that are being matured very quickly uh, in that space in terms of commoditization and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> is the community there? Have, have you articulated a reason why you want to join Horizon Worlds for Meta or things like that? I'm, I'm not quite sure, right? And so, you know, just taking a little back, I mean, I think we've been socializing online for, for through a very variety of technologies for for much longer than I think people kind of anticipate, right? Obviously, Mark uh, talked about you know obviously the palace.com, but I mean there were Usenet news groups, right? I think in the early '90s uh, there were mm -hmm. Yahoo chat rooms in the mid uh, '90s. Mm -hmm. ICQ, I distinctly remember being a big part of my uh, you know my uh, high school experience, and obviously Reddit and Dig and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, what's it called. Uh, uh, there's a whole, tons of you know asset. There's tons of ask me sites and stuff like that, right? I think like Yahoo Answers was a big uh, sort of thing. Quora is still around to ask people. And it's a, believe it or not, those are communities as well. So these are, what was your earliest experience with socializing online, uh, Philip? Ooh, so um, I think somewhere in the depths of the internet, somebody will probably find a MySpace page for me. 
definitely a Friendster. I think I had a Friendster. Um, but that was still Friendster. I was very late to Friendster. So this is probably the early 2000s. My very first experience, I remember it distinctly. We, my, my father bought a, an Apple computer. I forget what it was. I want to say 2E. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we had AOL. And my brother's girlfriend uh, came down from college and she was with us. And I remember I was like playing around with AOL online and she discovered chat rooms. And she and I, I was, he's four years older than me. So I was probably, I was 14 and she was 18 or 19, right? Something like that. And I remember we were just in there talking to completely random people for several hours. So that's my, my clearest memory of online sort of socialization, right? Yeah. Sitting in the den in my childhood home with my brother's girlfriend at the time, talking to weirdos about weird things. Um, it didn't get too crazy, but it was definitely, a, it's a vivid memory, right? That was my first time talking to somebody from afar. That's, and that, that's what's blowing my mind, right? Yeah. I had no idea who they were, where they were, uh, what their background was. All it was was there was a human on the other side. I'm pretty sure it was. I don't think bots were that advanced yet. <laughs> but um, that that's my first memory of online socialization. AOL, go team. You know, I mean, uh, it, you know, I had the exact same experiences, but then of course there's gaming as well, right? That's the that's the big layer of, layer with that brought you know millions of me, millions of people onto online socialization. So you know, obviously, wow, I wasn't a huge player of that, but. A lot of my friends were Star Wars Galaxies. My, I have a distinct memory of like, uh, you know, uh, trolling people online with that in a, in a, what I thought was a funny way, but uh, maybe not, maybe more annoying than anything. But, uh, but also, you know, even in terms of multiplayer games, like I distinctly remember playing things like CS one point, you know, Counter-Strike 1.6 and, mm -hmm. you know, talking with people across the world and, and, you know, uh, about strategy and, you know, uh, you know, also name calling and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and it blows my mind that you can still play CS 1.6 in your browser. Now you don't actually right. even have to download it. So, uh, you know, and of course there's even things way past that, like the Miiverse for Nintendo and stuff like that. So this idea of a, of a virtual commons has existed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them were very highly successful and actually still have communities that are going today. And I think that's Mark's point. And I think I agree with him there that we've already had experience of socializing online. We have numerous ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, the key with the metaverse and or whatever quote unquote metaverse platforms end up being dominant is how do you make that fun? How do you make that uh, you know, generalizable and monetizable in a way that feels organic and authentic and actually is, it feels additive rather than punitive. Right. Mm. And I don't think there, to, to date, I don't think anyone's figured out the exact, you know, secret sauce. I think Mark is obviously hoping to, to hit on that formula. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, the technology at the end of the day, uh, has matured to a certain, to a certain level, but I'm not sure that, you know, anybody's figured out that combination of factors, which will make it successful. And my, my question to you, Philip, is what do you think it'll take for, for all of these elements to fit together? Is it, or are we in a chicken and egg situation where you have to build a platform before people will come, or do you need the people before uh, the platform will mature? Ooh. I mean, that's, it's a great, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a huge question. I, I don't know that I have an answer. Um, I think we've spoken before about lowering barriers to entry. And I think that has to happen for the metaverse to be a thing. Uh, and I know we tend to use words like 
AR and VR and XR interchangeably, but I also think those really matter. I am not convinced that VR, virtual reality, is going to be what used to be called the killer app for the metaverse, right? <clears throat> the idea that I need to dissociate from meat space in order to engage a different reality that is virtual and presented to me is so immersive that I think it's going to be interesting like, like we watch movies, right? I think like that might be a thing like, Hey, let's watch a movie. Oh, cool. Let's all put on our headsets and we'll all be, you know, on the bridge of the enterprise as you know, whatever next generation flies around for an hour and a half. We have a big adventure, right? I can see that. Um, but that's going to be niche for a while because it's always going to be expensive. I think the thing that's going to bring a lot of people into the metaverse is going to be augmented reality. I think it's going to be that situation where it is possible for me to interact with meat space plus, right? We already kind of have that with our phones where we can sort of scan things. I remember Yelp for a while. I don't know if they still have it. Was it called goggles or something of the sort? But you could, if you pulled up your map and you sort of like pointed it at yeah. the restaurant, it would sort of pop up the review, right? That type of thing I think will be the, the, the secret sauce to bring people in because we already all have phones, right? And it's going to be that marriage of our real existence and a digital existence. And they sort of over overlap, right? Some of it will be by choice where I can take a walk. <laughs> Naturalists are going to hate me on this one. If I take a walk through the woods and if I look at a tree and it sort of tells me its age and history and its species, right? That'd be cool. Other people will say like, oh my God, why would you want to interfere with nature like that? Um, but on the other hand, I think sometimes we're not going to have a choice. It's going to be the case soon. Cause right now I think I, <laughs> I'm going to digress for a moment. The state of California sends me refund checks for taxes. I pay, I don't know why they do this, but they do it all the time. And I get the checks and the checks from the state of California, I think are printed on a printer from 1937 because they're really wonky and no digital banking app I have can recognize those checks. So I must right go to a branch to deposit them. Thing is all the branches are closed because of COVID. So I'm forced to sort of find this workaround that involves me mailing checks to my bank, right? Why am I saying this? Because I'm forced to sort of bank digitally now, no matter what. And when the world interferes with that, it makes me angry. So the solution that will allow me to do that is sort of forced upon me, but I don't know that I sort of want it. And that I think is going to happen with AR. It's all of a sudden going to be the case that a lot of us are going to start living our lives, stuff we do every day. We're going to be doing it through augmented reality. And when that happens, it's going to be that slow creep of progress that is going to marry the metaverse to the real world. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that that I think is not uh, overlooked, but maybe undersaid to a certain degree is the fact that the technology is finally caught up, you know, uh, to, to what we want out of the metaverse. Right. So the thing is, uh, if you wanted to get it on a Usenet news group or a Yahoo chat room back in the day, you needed to have a computer. And it was, you know, unless you were independently wealthy, you probably didn't have a laptop. And, you know, the, the term laptop was probably more of a misnomer than anything because of <laughs> the size of those things. But you had a big desktop computer and you needed to negotiate how to get online. You need to you know, dial up or, or do something. Um, and it took forever. Right. But whereas now we carry the Internet with us pretty much everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Across countries, we, you know, roaming fees, even, you know, I was in Canada recently and we don't even have, you know, digital, we don't have roaming fees for, for, for data anymore, right? Mm -hmm. If you're on the right plan. So all of these things allow us to actually 
you know, go online at the at the drop of a hat anytime we want. And that allows things like AR and, and, and potentially VR and all those kinds of stuff. So we are at the right technological stage to actually get to that, to really bring the metaverse to life, quote unquote, yeah. right? But how it looks is that question. And that brings me to the elephant in the room, right? Which is obviously what's going on at, at Meta yeah. what, and what, and how, how do we feel about Mark Zuckerberg's vision of what the metaverse is going to look like? Yeah. I'm so I, there've been a few articles I've been reading. Um, I'll post them in the, the, on the episode comments. Cause I don't know them offhand. Uh, the first was, you know, Zuckerberg's metaverse is trying really hard. I think he introduced like, Hey, you can visit Paris and Spain in the metaverse now. And the author's take was like, this metaverse looks terrible, <laughs> you know, like it's not sophisticated, it's blocky and like the people look creepy. And then Zuck, I think recently like either updated or upgraded his avatar and people were sort of slamming that. Now, um, <laughs> I hesitate to say this because uh, poor Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have it that hard, but uh, Zuck does have a target on his back, right? I mean, he's he's everywhere and he's nowhere, and people you know think he's too powerful or who knows what. Um, I think that he's he's trying really hard to grasp um, the lion's share of metaverse traffic and activity. I don't think he's going to succeed. Uh, I I have no reason for that except for sort of my own personal. Um, feelings about Facebook. I'm, I'm more or less over it. I have a Facebook account. Um, I'm still on Instagram. At the same time, I don't frequent Facebook at all anymore. And Instagram, I'm on mm, a little bit. But in any case, that's why I don't think that these central authorities, specifically Facebook now Meta, is going to do well. I think there's just a lot of people who are done with it. And I think this actually ties back to my earlier point, I hope. Um, I think Mark's vision of the metaverse necessarily is virtual reality, right? A place where you go. Uh, and one of um, Mark Jeffrey's uh, points was a metaverse that forces real world physics on you is a failed metaverse, right? right? His quick take on that was fast, essentially a form of fast travel that if you clicked, you know, on a, a an edge of the screen in the palace, you could instantly transfer yourself to another uh, palace room, a palace server. Yeah. And it was easy to connect, right? As opposed to, Every vision I've seen of Meta's metaverse is not like that. It very much makes you travel. We've talked about NBA 2K making you walk through, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I think augmented reality is going to be the killer app. Because if I am out here where I must necessarily walk, I don't give any thought to the fact that I must walk. All you're doing is making these physics better. But if you take me to a virtual world where you then impose walking on me, I have the opportunity to complain because it doesn't have to be that way. And that I think is going to be the failure for Meta's metaverse. Insofar as they are insisting it be virtual, um, it's not going to work. So yeah, no, that's Meta. It's not just his problem, right? Sandbox and Decentraland, it's uh, similar. You know, they have, they have to go to a place. You have to be in that place at the exclusion of all else. Um, I don't think those are going to fly. I don't know, but that's, that's just me. I'm older than you, Jason. And I wonder if this is sort of a function of my age. So I wonder like, what's, what's your take on the future and Zuck and what he's trying to do? You know, in a certain way, I, I, I respect it, Philip, uh, you know, because it, being the first, not the first mover, but a first significant mover, expending these kinds of resources to create something um, uh, takes 
fortitude, right, to push through an organization, especially a, a huge Fang company. Uh, well, not Fang anymore, but uh, you know, uh, main company like like Meta, right? It, it, you know, you need to have a lot there to go right in order to convince uh, people and shareholders that this is a, a smart way to go, even even if you are the majority shareholder, right? That being said, I think for for the reasons that you outlined, the current iteration of what they're doing is a little bit misguided, right? Mm. Um, you know, I, I saw I saw an article that uh, uh, that that spoke about uh, Mark Zuckerberg's avatar, saying that it, it represents his extreme discomfort with being a human being. Uh, you know, I, which I didn't think was fair, to be honest. But at the same time, uh, you know, the problem is I could see where it's coming from because. It's, it's trying to take what we are here and try and transpose it into a world that's not ready for it. They can't, mm. a world that cannot capture, you know, our, our micro, uh, you know, expressions uh, that can't, that can't capture our complexity in any way that forces us to go through imperfect um, input methods to, to, to do something. It, it, we're just not there yet. As, as much as we advanced in technology to be able to go online once we get online we're still very much stuck in the 1980s and 1990s in terms of in terms of how we interact with that world and because and and we've evolved that over decades to a point where it's pretty good it's like the gasoline powered car right yes electric cars are coming and they will be the future but right now if you ask me to take a car to go on a cross-country trip guess what i'm still taking the gas powered car mm. i think that's where we're at today and I think that also that means that we haven't figured out how to interact with the metaverse yet. Is it AR? Is it VR? Is a question. But even if it is VR, why are we bound by the laws of physics, right? You know, uh, why haven't we started just saying, you know, we can go straight up, we can go straight down. You know, the, you know, there are so many. We can go anywhere we want because functionally, it's more like outer space than it is <laughs> the Earth. Why are we, you know, why are we bounding ourselves to this kind of, you know? Um, you know, the laws of physics and stuff like that. And, and, and it makes me deeply sort of bored with the idea of, of that kind of metaverse, right? So let me, I mean, let me ask you this, right? Um, I know there are games, um, the famous one, what's it called? It's, you're a goat and you just walk around. Oh, goat, goat Simulator? Yeah. <laughs> How could I forget Goat Simulator? <laughs> what is the name of that game? Would it simulate being a goat? Um, so some of these exist. You are a goat simulator and that one got popular for reasons, right? But it is not a game where you are sort of uh, uh, um, a self-aware uh, conscious actor sort of in the game, right? I understand the human behind the goat is self-aware and conscious, sure. but you know how like every time you play a first person shooter, you're yeah. always a humanoid of sorts, right? And I wonder if there's not sort of something to be said for like, where is doom when I'm a cephalopod? Right. I think some of the reason that we don't change the laws of physics in virtual reality, even though we can, is because it's difficult. Right. What do I do if I'm a, if I'm if I'm a gas? Right. What if I am just, you know, some sort of vibrating energy? What if I am, like I said, a cephalopod? Right. How do we how do we do that? How do we think about that? Again, sort of, I go to science fiction where you have these authors and there's always humanoids. Right. And Larry Niven, for example, tried really hard to create this universe where there sort of weren't just humanoids, where you've got, um, uh, he had these creatures called puppeteers that were sort of completely different. He had other creatures who would sort of, their entire culture was based upon laying with like half shadow and half sunlight in order to sort of gain power from the difference in electricity. And the whole idea is like, 
those aren't very well known books, right? Because it's, it's hard for people to sort of embody that actor, that character. And I think the, the, the metaverse has the same problem. You're right. We could be in outer space, but that's still human in outer space, right? How do we truly make our own brains understand that we're no longer bound by this mortal coil, right? We don't longer have to be a 10-fingered, two-eyed thing. What if we could be, you know, again, what does it mean to be a trans-dimensional person or to operate in, you know, in, in four dimensions? What, how, do I, how do I even do that? How do I interact with the universe that allows me to be in two separate times at once, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. The metaverse can do it, but I can't. And I think that's the failure. Exactly. And I think, and to be fair, I think that, you know, uh, gaming had that problem as well. You know, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, even if you look at esports, right, it's still very genre defined. You know, you're you're either you're in a first person shooter, you're in a MOBA or, you know, you, you basically you're within a genre because it's easy for people to gravitate towards it. And you're trying to get its mass uh, culture, right? Mm. You want as many people playing it as possible. So if you break the mold too much, you're not going to get enough people to, to do it. But at the same time, I think as you know, we've matured, as the technology has matured, as the technology has allowed us to do more, you're seeing a lot more experimental games. You're seeing a lot more, uh, you know, different kinds of, you know, uh, things where you're not a human being, you could be a goat, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, we're seeing that side of things and we're realizing that people are open to that experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I do think that, you know, in, unlike a game, which is a basically a fit, well, not anymore. It's not a finished product anymore because you can patch it until the, until nearly infinity. But at the same time, it's bound by game, game engines, right? Mm. You're never going to really completely reinvent that game, right? Mm. Whereas with the metaverse, theoretically, you know, early on, you can sort of incorporate some of these changes, right? You can say, hey, we don't have to move on a on a, on a, on a gravity-based axis if we don't want to. We can give you planes to go between stuff if we mm. want to. We can enable fast travel. You know, we don't have to, ultimately at the end of the day, it's a much more experimental space. And I mm. wish, I think what I'm getting to is I wish there was more experimentation, mm. right? Because we don't know what's going to be fun in the metaverse. And, and, the, and, the, and I will say this, the point of a game is to win or to get to the objective or to beat okay. somebody else, right? It is an actual, there is a goal oriented activity for most games, right? Not all games, but most games, right? right? If I'm supposed to exist in the metaverse and I'm supposed to do my banking or I'm supposed to, you know, negotiate with the post office in the metaverse, <laughs> that's not, you know, yes, that's an individual goal, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't excite people to watch other people do it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody wants to watch me doing, nobody wants to see like grocery shop, Jason's grocery shopping simulator uh, to 2022. Like it would be a terrible game, right? Cause it would be so mundane. And so the question that I have is how do we actually get past the mon mundaneness of real life yeah. in the metaverse? Like, is it, is it that exciting to watch other people, but, or do we actually need to add that socialization layer and really encourage that socialization to make it actually fun and worthwhile? So I don't think that mundanity is a bar to interaction, right? There are numerous, you know, people on TikTok doing absolutely nothing but shopping or cooking, you know, or, or just living their lives. And influencers, you know, that their whole point, I think, right, to, to belittle them, and I don't mean this intentionally, is to do sort of the everyday in a way that makes everyone jealous, right? And it's it's totally mundane. Like, so you're on a boat, that's great, you know, but you shoot it right, or, you know, or you're making a salad, and you have to tell me your life story first, right? <laughs> so people do mundane things, certainly. I don't think that that's going to be a bar. I think there is going to be a huge uh, 
community for that. Like I said, remember I talked about woodworking in Reddit for a hot sure. minute. If, if in a metaverse, right, I could interact with the person who's actually like making that dovetail so I could understand like, oh, like that's how you do it, right? Or, oh, like this is the tool you use or like, because you can only see so much when they're sort of demanding the camera angle, but if I could move around to see where their hands are and everything, right? If that can happen in the metaverse, that'd be cool, right? All of a sudden, I'm I'm sort of a real-time interactive participant of this tutorial, right? So in that sense, in extraordinarily mundane to some people, but for other people, it'd be super interesting. But um, you've added something, Philip, there, right? Because the thing about it is, if, if I'm watching a TikTok or, yeah. or something like that, I'm watching somebody's edited version of what they're doing, right? Yes. Um, and I'm here, I'm seeing it from one angle uh, because they set up the camera that way. What we're talking about, what you're talking about, especially is a complete, uh, it's, it's a change to that experience, right? It's an ability to actually interact with the creator uh, in that space, which is the exciting part about what the metaverse could be, right? Mm. Uh, but that changes things, right? Because even though it's mundane, we can, if, if there's an expertise being communicated in a different way, that absolutely has value. And that probably is what the metaverse should be for, right? Mm. But my question is more about just if I am doing, absolutely nothing and i am not watching highlights but i'm just watching people exist and it's mm -hmm. not even like twitch where you're watching people like put on a character to to you know drive views and stuff but i'm just existing in this space yeah what is the incentive for me to watch somebody cut their toenails for like three hours like i mean i mean yeah. i'm not i'm not here to kink shame jason like if people are into that <laughs> they want to watch the toenails get i chose cut, the wrong i chose the wrong thing I they need the to do it thing, an example that's not literally that, yeah. dozens of people on the planet are interested in watching that happen um so i i, I do hear you though like if it is if it outside of kink right because i'm sure there are some um but it's just sort of the the the, 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 the kinkless mundane right if that is what's being broadcast then yeah i think there's probably a content failure at that point um, but I don't, th but I think that goes back to sort of uh, monetization versus, versus motivation, right? If you're looking to monetize the mundane, I think you're going to fail unless you find kink. Um, I think the way it's going to creep in is like I said before, it's going to be forced upon us. If I'm going to interact with the modern world, the modern world is going to force me to do it through augmented reality of some sort, something as simple as going to the bank or going to the post office, right? I'm not going to have a choice, but to do it through augmented or virtual reality. They'll keep, you know, one office in California that you can go to if you must, because they need to accommodate people who hate technology. Um, actually, this flips over. Let's keep in mind, there are certain people for whom this technology is not ever going to be very useful, right? Yeah. I mean, if you have a metaverse that is still based upon sight, there are persons who interact with the world without sight, and we need to make sure that we're still taking, you know, everybody into account. You know, the metaverse needs to be as accessible to every, uh, to humans of different ability, just like the, the real world, right? That said, I think that the way that the mundane is going to happen in the metaverse is not because someone's trying to make money off it. It's because the things that we have to do every day are going to be forced upon us. We're going to have to do them um, in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, it comes down to the two C's of convenience and community, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it has to be convenient uh, and it has to be more convenient than what we already do in real life. Uh, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And then it also has to have community because it can be more inconvenient, but if the community is so much fun uh, that paying your taxes just ends up being like this giant rave in the metaverse, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, uh, basically the torture that it is now. Um, great. You know what I mean? At least it will have fundamentally changed the way we interact with something, but that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of it. And do I think that, you know, getting back to what I asked you is do, do, do I think that, 
you know, Mark Zuckerberg's version of, in Horizon Worlds, will that bring that to that? I don't see that so far, right? And I do think there's there there's fundamental issues with the current iteration of it. But that being said, I don't think this is the final version at all, right? This is just, you know, we're not, I think we're pre-alpha to a certain degree, uh, you know, uh, maybe not with like the actual fundamental sort of, you know, look and feel, but at least in terms of the features and and, and things you can do on it. Yes. I mean, I think pre-alpha, you're being generous, right? Um, <laughs> I think we are, we are fortunate, you and I, insofar as, you know, we have access and insight and, and history to sort of see what it could be. Um, but I, I, I do think you're right. I, I don't think the metaverse is understood. There's a famous interview that David Bowie did with the BBC where he was talking about what the internet could be. And the interviewer just didn't get it. The interviewer was like, this is just, it's just like a fancy fax machine. Like, what's the big deal? And David was adamant. He's like, no, this is going to change everything. It's a, again, I'll link that interview. I can find it on YouTube. Anybody can. And it was just, it was brilliant to watch someone who thinks differently you know, do it in, in real time about something that's now impacted us all. Cause he was, I mean, he was so right. Like so many other futurists. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in the same place, right? I'm no David Bowie. Um, but certainly I am trying to imagine the world that, that could be. And I think you're right. Like pre-alpha, certainly probably pre, pre, pre-alpha. Um, but it's, it's coming. I think Mark Jeffrey had the right idea. It does need to be social. It's not, it's not going to be a private metaverse. I mean, there might be, right? Some people might have some sort of walled garden, but sure. the metaverse that we're talking about where people can interact and, you know, act with purpose and agency and accomplish things, not just game things, but real world things, that's necessarily social. So I think, I mean, Mark, Mark hit it on the head, obviously, because uh, he, he's, he's done it before. Um, it was just, it was really great to speak to him about acting sort of within the confines that he was acting and the way that he partnered with, uh, with Warner Brothers. And he was able to bring, you know, a lot of good IP into it that made it fun and interesting. Again, these are, these are problems we're still wrestling with today. So I hear Absolutely. you. And, you know, before we wrap, I mean, you know, ultimately, I, I think we're, we're on the same page here. I don't think Meta or any one organization can own the metaverse, right? Uh, they might be the most popular for a while. Uh, they might be the one that kickstarts it before somebody else gets more popular. But ultimately, uh, you know, uh, our, our, you know, our, uh, our colleague Josh, uh, Josh Lawler always says, you know, it's, it's going to be a decentralized metaverse of multiple metaverse sets, right? And to a certain degree, I, I, I agree with that, right? I, I find it hard to believe that we're going to be stuck to one world when that world can be created by almost anybody, right? Theoretically, of course, you know the barriers are time and money, um, and uh, and technical capability. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there trying to create this and get their head in the pie. I'm sure we'll see multiple versions of that. I also think there will be multiple community versions of that that come out. The question is, how do the digital assets that we create on the blockchain or or using other 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 things, how how will they actually be able to move around between the metaverse? The, the metaverse platforms is, is, is what's in, of interest to me. No, I, I, you're right. Right. Sort of, um, platform agnosticity. What's, what's, what's the, what's the adjective for platform. agnostic? It is right? agnostic. These, yeah. These would be platform agnostic, certainly. Um, and I, th I think you're right. Like in the same thing that happened with sort of solar power and electric cars to bring back up your example is that they've gotten cheaper over time, right? We saw that happen with server space. People would say like, oh, you know, not everybody can have a website. You realize the computing power that goes into that? And now everybody can, right? We used to think that nobody could host, you know, large communities of people. And all of a sudden, you know, um, IPFS exists and you can have, you know, distributed uh, server power as much as you want to. I think 
all these are going to come into play. So it's going to be distributed on many fronts, not only sort of the front end, but also the back end. And I think technology is just beginning to understand that. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, we have uh, we have a very exciting guest for for the next uh, uh, video cast. Uh, and uh, Mark Jeffrey was a was a great guest. And Phil, thank you very much for the conversation. So Metasapiens, stay tuned and we will see you uh, uh, in the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs>